today's episode gave me so much joy to record. I took notes. I went back and took notes again when I listened to the replay. I cannot wait to introduce you to our guest, Manessa Lowe. She is a cosmetic chemist who formulates cosmetic products for L'Oreal USA. She is a self proclaims girly nerd. Her path to the career that she's on now was derived from her lifelong passion for beauty and academic adeptness for the sciences. She graduated from Rutgers University in New Brunswick with a bachelor's in chemistry and a master's in personal care science. Y'all, she is so smart. Manessa prides herself on curating a career that marries her personal and professional adore to invent the dynamic woman that she is today. Can we say yes, yes, yes? She is an esteemed scientist, traveler, mentor, and blogger. She's an avid traveler that has visited 18 countries and counting. She chronicles her travel experiences, money management advice, and lifestyle tips for savvy millennials through her blog, Ness Knows, which is linked up in our show notes. When I finished recording this episode, I took a break just to process all of the things that she shared. I am so inspired by her her confidence and her gravitas and how she is so unapologetic about who she is. And I am just so thrilled to see how her career will continue to unfold and blossom because she is a risk taker and she is very comfortable stepping out of that comfort zone, which you're gonna hear about in just a second. So y'all have been hitting me up, asking me about my kombucha chronicles. Well, guess what? I am still brewing kombucha at home and I'll start sharing more of the behind the scenes of the brewing process on my Insta stories. So y'all check that out. I just wanted to make sure you all know that I do read all of the messages that you send to the winning season podcast, which you can do on Twitter or Insta or inside of the winning season Facebook group. On the note of kombucha, this summer, I have been enjoying the mango ginger flavor that I brewed. It's so good, especially when that ginger sits a little bit for that second fermentation. It just has this nice crisp bite. So almost like a spicy margarita, I may or may not have been pouring in a little bit of tequila uh, because like I said, it gives you that spicy margarita vibes. May or may not, I cannot confirm that for y'all. So for the fall, I am looking forward to trying some fall flavors inside of the kombucha. Like I said, check out my Insta story. I'll keep y'all posted on that. So let's get back to this episode because as I shared with you all, when we recorded, I was blown away. I took a lot of notes. And then afterwards, I just sat in awe of this amazing woman, and I cannot wait to share this episode with you. Now, if you feel the same way about this episode that I do, go ahead and share it with your girlfriends, because the gems that Manessa shares with us, they are applicable to any woman working in a male-dominated industry at any stage of your leadership journey, period, point blank. All right, y'all, let's take a listen.
Hey y'all, hey, hello, hello. So this podcast is for women leaders who work within male-dominated industries, which is almost every industry. Listen, I am your host, Jacqueline Twilly, best-selling author and president at ZeroGap.co. This podcast is where we talk about tools, tips, and strategies to enter the next phase of winning season. And I truly believe that winning season means it gets to be better and better and better and better. So many times working as a woman in a male-dominated industry, we get taught survival tactics. But guess what? It's time to thrive. So pull up your earbuds, grab a notebook, because we dropped the gems on this podcast, and let's dive in. Hey, hey, winning season. So I am fired up to introduce you all to Manessa. I came across her profile on LinkedIn. She was featured at a as a speaker at the Cultural Change in 2020 online event and y'all I was blown away by her profile so Manessa welcome to the winning season podcast thank you for having me I'm really excited likewise so tell us a little bit about yourself beyond your LinkedIn profile sure so my name is Manessa and I'm from New Jersey born and raised in Jersey went to college in New Jersey still live in New Jersey and I studied chemistry at Rutgers and honestly, I've always kind of had kind of like this tenacity for science and for kind of like rigorous coursework. And it just so happened that along kind of like my journey of like self-discovery and academia that I fell into cosmetic chemistry, a lot of people don't know that I actually wanted to work in the pharmaceutical industry. And I had like big dreams and aspirations that I would cure cancer and like find a cure for HIV. But as I kind of like grew up and like different things happened, I realized that that was not necessarily like the best path for me. And I feel like God has kind of like aligned me to be in a space where I'm challenged technically, but that I also can be myself at work. I like to say that I'm a girly nerd. So like I'll wear my hair like curly to work or like I'll wear like booties and I'm in the lab, like literally making products. So I think the type of work that I do now is like a big intersection of my personality. Another thing that you may not know from my LinkedIn profile is that I'm very, very big on mentorship. I make it a solid point to meet with students from across the United States, most of the time virtually or over the phone, just to talk about my journey in STEM, because growing up, I personally didn't really have a mentor. And so I see value in kind of like paying it forward, even though like I'm still relatively new and early in my career. And lastly, I'm very big on travel. So to date, I've been to 18 countries and counting, you know, fingers crossed post COVID, I could continue my travel journeys, but travel has been such a transformative part of my development. That is something I want to continue to do forever. I love everything that you said. <laughs> I noticed that you're big on mentorship. I saw it with your post. It's a journey, not a race. One of your pillars in that article was about paying it forward. So let's kind of start there. You wrote this amazing post about your three years at L'Oreal USA, and you titled it, It's a Journey, Not a Race. But then 
you came through with these major gems. And before we started recording, I said this could be a book. And I really hope I'm planting a seed that you will give us this book <laughs> because we need it. And I'm letting you know I will buy the first couple copies. So well, I appreciate already... that. So in your your article, you talk about you started as an intern at L'Oreal and now you're a chemist there and you start off with the title L'Oreal Baby and how you're blossoming. And then you go on to tell us that you have helped launch over 100 products across different categories for the company. So tell us a little bit about the emphasis for this reflection blog post. Sure. I don't know. It's so interesting to me to take a moment to reflect on my journey. So I actually did a blog post like this my first year at L'Oreal. And things were like super chaotic, kind of like my second year that I didn't get a chance to like really sit down and sit with my thoughts. And I think the reason the third year reflection was so important to me was I've been promoted within the company. I've switched teams. You know, I've worked on different brands. So I feel like I'm in a space now that there's a lot for me to really talk about in terms of the different things I've experienced here. And I think like you mentioned the term L'Oreal baby, it's a term we really use here where it's like you go from being an intern to now being a full-time fully integrated employee. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like this like badge of honor when you're like a, a L'Oreal baby. And it's, it's something that's truly, truly unique to the culture here. And to comment on the products that I've launched. So I've worked on hair color, hair care products, and now I'm working on skin cleansing products. And it, uh, 100 seems like a big number, but when you consider the scope of L'Oreal and how many different product categories as a company they hold, it's crazy to even think that I've launched one product, you know, like I can go on, there's a brand I used to work on, Redken. There was a time I launched like eight different hair color shades, right? There's another brand called Pulp Riot. They're mainly based out of California, but I was the lead chemist on the demi-permanent hair color technologies that they just launched last month. And that was a line of 30 different shades. So it's really easy for like the product numbers to accumulate because we think of like the scale and kind of like sheer size of what we develop here. In hair color, you could easily launch 50 shades in a year. And like, that's like really substantial work here. But I'm, I don't know, I've just been really excited about the journey I've been on. I love being in the industry. I think beauty is where I belong, I would say for sure. I can see that in your pictures, your blog is beautifully laid out. And I don't know you well, but I just see it resonating through your photos. So you talk about the five gyms and how you've been able to navigate this part of your career. And you start with self-advocacy. You talk about taking risks, networking across, not just up. And girl, let me tell you, networking is one of my favorite topics, second to negotiation. <laughs> they can really get deep with us on to thy own self, be true. And you wrap it up with paying it forward. So I want to explore these different areas so we can just get some depth. Of course, y'all got to read the article. She has some amazing photos in here and some beautiful videos as well. Like I said, you can just tell beauty runs throughout. So let's start I with- I appreciate you. Yes, I'm a fan. Let's talk about self-advocating. I know, well, let me back up. 
my community knows I just went on a two-week vacay, and I spent a lot of time with my family, which was much needed after being quarantining by myself for months. But my niece, who just turned seven, she wanted to stay with me at my other sister's house, and she wanted me to ask if she could stay, and I told her no. I said, you have to be your own advocate. You got to go in there and you have to say, can I go to stay with my TTs tonight? Um, that's yeah. how aunties are. Me too. So, <laughs> so I made her do it because I want her to understand the importance at this young age. Don't wait on somebody to ask for you. You have to do it yourself, especially she really wanted to stay with us because she knows we were going to have snacks and we were staying up late. So I'm like, mm-hmm. you really want to go, go ask. So Going back to your post, your first one is self-advocate. So tell us more. So I think self-advocacy is so important, and I think it never stops, right? So I remember, I think my kind of, like, development with self-advocacy started really young. Like, I remember being in preschool and, like, being assigned to, like, read in front of the class or, like, always kind of being tasked to do like other things that made me at the time uncomfortable. But now that I reflect on it, it kind of, those were like the the foundations of me like self-advocating, right? I was at a time like a cheerleader. So those seemingly small experiences where it's like you're put in an uncomfortable position or you're put kind of like on a center stage and like, you know, everyone's looking at you where it's like you develop this knack for presenting yourself. And I think for me, I've started valuing self-advocacy in the lens of my career because I basically tell myself, this is not the hardest conversation I'm going to have, right? So whether it's me self-advocating for a promotion or self-advocating for pay, I'm like, knowing what it is that I want to do in life, having this one conversation is not going to make or break me, right? So it kind of like reinforces this idea, at least within me, that I'm my own best cheerleader. If I don't speak up, nobody's going to speak up for me. And I think a part of it too comes from the fact that, so my parents are from Haiti. So I have, you know, first generation college students. There were so many things I've always had to do on my own, right? So like scholarships, college applications, like those kind of things were always things where I had to be kind of like the main driving force. So after a while, it just becomes this notion that okay, says, well, if you need financial aid, you have to go to the financial aid office and ask. Like, no, my mom is not going to call financial aid and ask for me. My professors don't know that, like, I have a $2,000 balance, you know, like, so it's like things like that in my life, I would say that have happened that really reinforce the idea to me, like a closed mouth does not get fed. And it's not that there's sometimes I am shy. It's not like self-advocacy. It's super easy or just like something that, you don't, you know, you're not working on, I think it just comes from knowing, like, the consequence of, okay, if I don't ask, or if I don't put myself out there, then I'll know that there's only one other option. But if I can say, like, I asked, or I voiced the concern, I could say, at least I tried. So, like, that's kind of how I view self-advocacy, at least from my perspective. Yes, and I see that as a theme throughout that section of your blog post, You also gave this really powerful example of how you developed a really close relationship with the founder of of a brand and Mm -hmm. how you didn't advocate for yourself. You wouldn't have been on that project the way that you were. So can you give us a little insight into that? And more so, what what was your mental process of 
getting ready to have that conversation. This was around the time I hit year two at L'Oreal. So I remember I was working on hair color for a while and I, I'm very big on doing new and different things. Like every other day I'm like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. Like I'm, I like to be mentally stimulated. So it got to a point where I was like, okay, I've been here like a year and a half. I feel like I'm just doing the same thing. Like I didn't feel like I was being challenged. So I proposed like, okay, I want to start working on projects from the beginning to end, like really from inception, because I feel like there's so many learnings and so many ways you can kind of like guide a project initially from the beginning that you don't have that same kind of leverage if you, you know, you pick up the project halfway through when things are kind of like already established. So I think it was really for me to really put the onus on myself to say, okay, I think I'm really skilled as a hair color formulator, but am I really? So I think it was also like evaluating myself as a chemist to say, I've learned this from this person. I learned what works here. I learned what doesn't work here. I wanted to take everything that I thought worked well in the way that I was working and really implement that into a project. And having that conversation with my manager at the time, it wasn't the easiest conversation, but I remember having the backing of our director and him as, you know, he's a black male. He really wanted me to have kind of like that visibility and be able to say, okay, I'm working really closely with this person and they know me by first name. I'm really guiding this project because at the time an experience like that for someone that was at my level wasn't really common. That project was honestly slated for like a senior chemist. So definitely someone with at least another, I would say three, four years more of experience than myself. But really being able to just have that opportunity because I was very communicative that I want more, I want more, I want more is what put me in that position. And so everyone is not like that and that's okay. But again, it goes back to really knowing who I am and what drives me and I drive by being challenged. So perfect segue into the second part of that blog post. You talked about taking risks and you mentioned that naturally you're risk adverse. So yes, I what? <laughs> so what was it that made you say, I got to start embracing risk? I think because I realized I wanted to diversify myself as a formulator, right? So I'm like, okay, working in hair color is cool, but there's not that many, like, there aren't that many companies that do hair color, right? So it's like, sure, I could like specialize and be an expert in hair color, but do I want to spend my entire life studying hair color? Absolutely not. But it's also interesting because you could also argue, like, I was still relatively new in my kind of like pursuits of hair color, but I, I just knew for me long-term, that's not what I wanted to do. Long-term, I know that like I'm interested in skin. Like I'm obsessed with skincare. My whole Instagram feed is nothing but like the latest products, all the brands, brands out of Korea. I like literally buy skincare and hoard it like a psycho, but it's like, I know what I like. And for me, it was like, okay, it is going to be a risk. It's a completely different new product category, but it was something that I wanted to try. And I think, you know, it goes back to just putting it on me, right? If I didn't ask, I wouldn't even have been presented with the opportunity. Yes. And you know what I love about that? When I talk about negotiation, the core tenet is if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. And with self-efficacy and taking risks, you are what you're doing is you are just making sure that you're in the driver's seat of your career exactly. as much as possible. 
And that was actually an insight I got the first time I was kind of like up for a promotion. I had a mentor within the company and I kind of like asked her, you know, I'm like this, I was like a year and a half here. And she was like, one thing I would tell you is you, like you said, you're the driver, you're in the driver's seat of your career. She was like, you have to do what's best for you. She was like, don't feel like you're being too bold. You know, I felt like, oh, maybe I'm like being too bold by asking for a promotion. She's like, no, you feel like you're there. And, you know, according to like what we stipulate internally, you know, you meet all the criteria. Why not advocate for yourself? She's like, it's one thing to assume that your upper management understands like kind of like the value and stuff you bring to the team, but advocating for yourself and really putting yourself out there is what'll last so much longer in terms of like your development. But yeah, I I completely agree with you. You said something that's so interesting that made me think about when you said you didn't want to be too bold. I know that naturally women in general and girls, we tend to be extremely mindful of making sure the people around us are comfortable and not like going too far out of But it made me think about that statement that some people were making about Kamala about a month ago saying that she was too ambitious. Where do you think we can start as women leaders to start unraveling some of those ingrained societal teachings that tell us not to be too ambitious or not to be too bold? That's such a juicy question because I feel like I struggle with sometimes being too ambitious and feeling like I'm not doing enough. But I think one way in which we can kind of like peel the onion back on that is by celebrating more women who are ambitious. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be this one-off or like this one random person that is like killing it in an industry you don't know about. There's so many different women across industries, across countries that are like really, really game-changing. You know, whether they're famous or not, or whether they're you know, like a CEO, like, I think there's not enough celebration of ambition around us, like big or small. And that, and I think it goes back to why I'm super big on mentorship as well, because I'm big on if someone sees me do it, they can aspire to do it. Like there has been times where I've gone to like an elementary school and I did like a science experiment. And then the little girls come up to me and they're like, oh my God, you're a scientist. Like, I think that's so cool. And then it puts, it plants the seed in their head that I physically saw a scientist come to my school and do something. Now it's something more achievable and more attainable for me to kind of like aspire towards. And then like, I, those are those like 10 second interactions that always make me feel like, okay, this is why I do what I do. Just because it's like, you never know how you can like shift the perspective for someone else's career or personal development. That is so powerful. And I can only imagine what elementary school girls see when they see this beautiful black woman who's fly and her style is like, <laughs> so when they find out you're a scientist, they're like, oh, I can be fun and have mm-hmm. my style of science. I can only imagine how expansive that is for their brains. So at some point, I've got to introduce you to my seven-year-old and three-year-old niece because I want them to light up like those girls of light course. up. Of course. I would love to when talk COVID, with them. When COVID is over, we will definitely fly to Jersey so we can have lunch with you. I so love I wanna, it. <laughs> awesome. Let's talk about networking. This is my second favorite topic. But what you said here was a whole TED Talk about on the blog post, network across, not just up. 
give us some of the details with this one. Okay, this one, it, it's so interesting too because I was never naturally a networker. Networking gave me so much anxiety. And I think it stemmed from like how I opened it up is like traditionally we're taught networking is, oh, you're meeting the flashiest person in the room. You're meeting the most senior person in the room. And that is you networking. And you'd realize like, that's not the only way to network. Like networking across to me, like, like I explained, has been so much more impactful in terms of my legit actual career trajectory than anything else. And I say that because, like I explained in the blog post, I went to grad school at Rutgers and the program I did was a specialization in personal care. So I did the Masters of Business and Science focused on personal care. And my colleagues, would you say, or like my peers were people already working in the industry. So I had like maybe the person sitting next to me was at J&J. The person sitting across the room worked at a fragrance house. The person next to me, we almost overlapped internships. So it's like, because this industry is so specific and this grad program is, is specific and New Jersey is like the area for cosmetic chemistry and like product formulation, it's easy to meet people that can easily become a colleague in a year or two. And what ended up happening was that one of my peers in that class ended up is now my manager. So to give you kind of like a little bit more insight, I remember reaching out to her sometime last year when I was like, kind of like, okay, like I want to do something new. Like what is there next for me to do? And I was like, you know, I'd really be interested in skincare. And, you know, I told her, I was like, I'm a little hesitant because my background is in hair color. You know, would that like work against me or not? And she was very honest. And she said, no, like, honestly, you're, you're already like an internal L'Oreal employee. We value like learnings from different metiers and like the ways of working and, and stuff like that. And she was very honest in that she would you know, shoot my resume to her boss and like see if there were any openings. And for a long time, I didn't hear anything, right? So I guess you could say I kind of got a little bit discouraged, but it ended up being that this year they developed a whole new department. And at L'Oreal, we call our departments metiers. It's French for category. And so there was an opening and they knew I was interested in pivoting product categories. They saw my resume. They knew of me already within the company. So it just made for like, an easier way for me to be considered for the role. Not to say I didn't have to interview, which I did. I sat down with the team and all that stuff. But I think already having that pre-established connection just made for a more fluid transition into the new role. And this is not the first time I've heard a story like this, just in terms of like someone you were working with on the bench, you know, maybe now they're your manager or now they're like the VP, but it's like having those connections from that time you guys were considered I would say equals or maybe not necessarily as developing your career, they withstand time so long too. So I'm, I'm a big proponent for networking across also because you don't know who knows who, right? So even if, you know, she didn't become my manager, me networking with someone else could lead to, you know, connections on a different team or someone else being able to help me out on a really important project in like another two, three years. But because we already established a rapport, it's just easier for us to get along and keep working together. You know what I really love about what you just shared is the undercurrent is relationship first. Exactly. You're not going transactional. You're like, I'm just going to develop these relationships and eventually they will unfold the way they unfold. And I really know for sure 
that people who approach networking that way, those are the people who say, oh, you got to network, networking works, because they're not looking for that quick, like, oh, I, I meet you today, I'm getting something from you tomorrow. So I really hope winning season, y'all are taking notes, because what she just gave us was just a blueprint of how to really build your network in an impactful way. And I think it's also super authentic, right? Because it's like, yes, you know, you're not, I think that's the other thing that I think deters people from networking is that they feel like, oh, like I have to be bringing something to the table or I have to have an ask for the person I'm networking with. No, I think set up a one-on-one, tell someone at the company, maybe you heard them speak or like they're CC'd on a project you're working on and say, hey, I'd love to get to know you a little bit more. Can we set up time and have coffee? You'd really be surprised what you learn from your colleagues by super organic interaction. Well, speaking of being authentic, you talk about to thy own self be true. And I love how you profile the diversity within your organization. Let's dive into that one for a second. Yes. You're so a part of a of color think tank. Yes. And it looks like some other groups too. So tell us about that. So this is honestly a quote I live by. And I think too, it resonates in terms of like, it's very introspective. Like I'm, I'm so big on saying like, you know, you best, whether that means like how you perform at work, how you perform at home, like what it is that makes you happy, you know, you best. And I know that being myself and being authentic in the way I come to work, it's going to lead to the best, you know, representation of me and the best output of me as an employee. And I, when I say I love the women of color think tank at L'Oreal, it is like the bomb.com. These are boss women, when I say from all walks of life, all parts of the company who really have a common goal on being unified. And I think the one thing that makes this very different is I've noticed that other companies, ERGs are sometimes segmented by race or gender. And I think because here a collective of women of color, we get shared experiences. So we celebrated Black, uh, the pictures you see on my post are actually from a few events we did for Black History Month, but we also celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. You know, like we celebrate, I don't want to missay it, but like the Asian Pacific Islander kind of like month too. We celebrate all the different nuances. We celebrate Women's History Month in a way that you know, we work at a beauty company. So a predominant amount of our consumers are women. So it's like, we're women, we cater a lot of our products to women. It's, it's just like this really unique space where it's like, you kind of like feed off of each other. I've met so many mentors through this program. It's literally crazy. But also seeing how we've grown, I think from the time that the think tank started and where some of us started in our careers, like we celebrate each other's promotions, like it's a very, very, I would say, tight-knit group that, like, feeds off of each other. We're very transparent. I remember when George Floyd was murdered, we had, you know, a very transparent roundtable discussion and, like, what it meant to be Black in America and kind of, like, those conversations led to upper management being interested in what we had to say. And then that kind of, like, sparked what we call listening circles where, like the CEO, like SVPs, like head of HR really wanted to sit down and talk to us about what it really meant to be Black in America. And it was really eye-opening that a lot of those conversations had never been had before. Like we had 
senior management leaders, like just completely unaware that, completely unaware of what our realities are as Black women. And I think the other thing about having a group like that is that we're able to share in kind of like our plight, you know, for like development. And like, we talk a lot about like equal pay and like, we give suggestions on what companies can do differently. And, and it's, it's just, it's just so like, it's so interesting, I would say that, you know, we're even able to have a group like this. And I think that's something I always think about too, is that as a black woman, I can't help but not think of the women that came before me and the rooms that they weren't able to be in, you know, the careers they had to sacrifice just because of the color of their skin. So I really take those moments and honest, I guess you could say I cherish them just because I know even today, there's some black women that won't be able to be in rooms like this or have kind of like mentors of this capacity simply because it just, it's not allowed in their organization. And, and it sucks to say that, but it's crazy that that's a reality for a lot of us, but I, I, I truly value the group that we have here. I have chills as you say that because I absolutely know the feeling of sitting in that moment and really that t-shirt, I am my ancestor's wildest dream, sitting there and being like, oh, ish, like this is one of those moments where the people who, my ancestors, the elders who came before me, they paved the way for me to sit in this room and have a voice. Mm -hmm. And to your earlier point about advocacy, I think that we actually owe it to our foremothers and forefathers who fought for us to have freedom that when we have a seat at those tables for us to actually use our voice because they have sacrificed so much for us to get there. I completely agree with you. That's, that's it. Like if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here. And then I think it's yeah. like up to us, like us being there, right. Makes it easier for the next generation to be in the room. That, that right there. So you wrap up this blog post talking about paying it forward, which I think is the perfect way for us to, end our conversation today. But there's one line in here that really stood out, not just because it was capped, but because it summarized R. <laughs> if she can do it, you can do it. Talk to us about paying it forward. So yeah, this is something that I feel like it never really, I don't know when it became so important to me, but I guess as I kind of like started developing like a platform for myself or you know, being invited to come back to my school and talk to students that I, I really started realizing kind of like the power of paying it forward. For me, all I can remember is I was a child that loved science and I would legit play in my mom's makeup like every Sunday for church. You know, we were putting powder on, she was putting lip gloss on me. And I remember those things of being like, okay, I'm low-key a nerd, but I'm like super girly. But I didn't have anyone that looked like me. My teachers, honestly, were like seldom Black. When I went to college, I'm pretty sure I had like three Black professors. So it's not like I had this, like, I didn't have like, you know, aunts or anything that were like doctors or chemists. Like there was no one, honestly, in my immediate family and my immediate friend circle that was even doing the kind of work that I do today or really able to conceptualize what it is that I wanted to do. I remember telling professors, I remember I told an English teacher that I wanted to be a chemist and she was perplexed. She was like, what? She's like, but you dress so nice. I thought you'd want to go to fashion school. She just assumed that because I was girly and I wore like Uggs or whatever, that I, I wanted to pursue a career in fashion. 
I remember being in college telling professors, chemistry professors specifically, that I wanted to develop cosmetic products. And they would look at me like I had four heads, like, wait, what do you mean? You don't want a PhD? And I would have to tell them all the time, no. I remember being in college programs, like always being pushed to pursue medicine. And I'm like, bro, I do not want to be a doctor. Like there's other STEM paths out there. Like this is not what I want to do. And so I make a note to really share my story, especially, especially with younger students, because I don't want them to feel like there's only one option. Like there was another time I did a talk earlier this year, actually at a prep school and the girls came up to me like, oh my God, I love science. I thought I could only be a doctor. I was like, Sis, no, like, I was like, you can make like cosmetic products. I was like, I literally make cosmetic products. I was like, it's literally, you take your, you know, your chemistry background, you know, I've had to take bio classes. Like I'm taking hardcore science and it's like, I'm able to implement that into application that is like so transformative and literally changes lives. Like, you know, whatever our thoughts are on beauty, I think it's something that's super transcending and it withstands the test of time. Like we, as a society, we pride ourselves on looking good. And I think it's something that we're going to continue to do. So why not seek an alternative to what it is that you're already naturally good at? And I'm not saying this is like for everybody either. I think you do have to have like an interest in it in order, you know, to really be successful. But I I really pay it forward simply because I feel like there's not enough visibility into this field and that there's so many young women and men who maybe feel like, oh, like their only avenue is to be like a biologist or something. And I'm just like, no, like this is so fun. Like literally sometimes at work, I'm trying on lipstick or like I'm seeing like how hard it is to remove lipstick or like trying on like lip gloss and like it's it's, it's so interesting because it's it's actual science like there's real science that goes behind a lot of the products that we launch you have my heart lit up I'm so <laughs> like I can't tell you how deep in gratitude I am that you responded to my LinkedIn message and agreed to come to this podcast because you are such a force And I know that as you continue to journey through your career, you're going to accomplish so much. But also, I know just from talking to you today, you're going to touch more lives than you will ever realize because you are so passionate about sharing your story, which is why you absolutely have to write a book at some point. Because (laughs) the way you're so intentional about your career, that's the secret sauce. And your values, we didn't get into all of it, y'all, because I was all through her blog. She is so phenomenal. You got to check out her blog. So let me stop here because we might have to get you on for a part two because I know our time is far spent. Tell us how people can connect with you and you travel so much. You mentioned you've been to 18 countries. Tell us about these, the secret sauce you got for travel packing. Oh, sure. So if anyone's interested in connecting with me, I have a blog titled nestnose.com. That's N-E-S-S-K-N-O ws.com. I feature my travel journey, a lot about like my career. And it's, it's, you know, you can visit me there. You could shoot me an email. All of my, I guess you could say connecting information is on there. Also feel free to add me on Instagram. My handle is at N-E-S-S-A underscore L-O. That's Nessa underscore low. I'm just very open and, and honestly honest to talking with whoever. I, you know, have dedicated time on my calendar to talk to people who are interested. 
in learning more about the career or just learning more about how I was able to navigate. But the secret sauce that Jacqueline is talking about is that I put together a ultimate travel packing guide. So it was actually interesting. I am such an overpacker, but I always forget something. And it just kind of like dawned on me, like, why not really sit down and think about everything that you've ever needed when you've traveled? And not to say that you need everything in this packing guide, but I'm telling you, this packing guide will save you so much time. Not only does it kind of like organize things by different categories, there's other tips in there too, in terms of like, you know, a lot of people don't know you can bring snacks on the plane. So it's like, you really don't have to pay $10 for chips. Like just bring your $2 Doritos on the plane with you. So just things like that in terms of like ways in which I've been able to navigate or like save some space in my travel journeys. The guide is on sale now for $10 and you can look it through my site as well. Vanessa, thank you so much. I'm so glad we got connected. I look forward to developing a relationship with you. Winning season, what did I tell y'all? Isn't she amazing? So let's keep the conversation going. Let's talk about this episode. What were your favorite parts? Make sure you read the blog. I'm going to link up that in the show notes as well as inside of the winning season Facebook group because she just got our whole life. And yes, chemists can be fun and smart and travel and do all the things. Again, thank you for coming to the Winning Season Podcast. No, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate this more than you know. So until next time, y'all, continue to emulate excellence and eliminate excuses. So what did you think about today's episode? Come join us in the free and private Facebook group, Winning Season, where we continue the discussion about these podcast episodes. And I would be remiss if I did not give a shout out to Zero Gap. Now, yes, Zero Gap is a company that I am president of, but we would not have this podcast if it were not for Zero Gap. So shout out to the ZeroGap.co team. Thank you for all that you do to make the Winning Season podcast possible.